debt ceiling stalemate, and Biden makes it official. We lifted the debt limit. We've sent it to the Senate. We've done our job. In his first major test as speaker, Kevin McCarthy secures a notable win. Successfully, but narrowly passing his debt limit and spending cuts package. Dead on arrival. But Democrats reject the bill, and the path forward in the high-stakes stalemate over the nation's debt ceiling is unclear. Plus... But there's more to do, so let's finish the job. President Biden makes it official, announcing his 2024 re-election bid. We're going to beat him at the ballot box, and we're going to settle our unfinished business. And former President Trump, the current frontrunner for the Republican nomination, goes on the attack. Next. This is Washington Week. Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. I'm Laura Barone-Lopez. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are locked in a high-stakes standoff over raising the nation's debt limit, with weeks to go before the federal government is unable to pay its bills. The two men have challenged each other for months as the deadline draws near, with the president calling for a clean increase to the debt limit and a separate GOP budget plan, while Speaker McCarthy has called on President Biden to negotiate now over spending cuts. And on Wednesday, McCarthy notched a symbolic win when his debt ceiling and spending cuts bill passed in the House, albeit along party lines and by two votes. A buoyant McCarthy spoke to reporters after the vote. We lifted the debt limit. The Democrats need to do their job. The president can no longer ignore by not negotiating. Republicans hope the bill's passing will increase pressure on the president to meet with the speaker. But Senate Democrats made clear okay. that Speaker McCarthy's bill is, quote, dead on arrival in the upper chamber. And when asked by reporters if he would negotiate with McCarthy over the debt limit, President Biden didn't budge. Happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That's not negotiable. Joining us to discuss this and more, Dan Balls, the chief correspondent at The Washington Post, John Bresnahan, a co-founder of Punchbowl News, Mario Parker, the White House and politics editor for Bloomberg News, and Melanie Zanona, Capitol Hill reporter for CNN. Thank you all for being here. I think it's important to establish first the stakes for this conversation. If the country defaults on its debts, here's what would happen. We would quickly lose about one million jobs. There's a possibility of a recession. The credit rating for the country tanks, which would be followed by increasing interest rates, likely cuts to Medicare and Social Security benefits, and military paychecks delayed. That's not everything that would happen. That's a number of the possible catastrophic things that would. John, uh, Republicans made clear with this bill that they aren't going to agree to a clean debt limit increase. They want spending cuts. But this bill doesn't specify the spending cuts that they really want. Is this a serious proposal to balance the budget? It is and it isn't. It's both at the same time because they are calling for pretty dramatic spending cuts. They want to bring back, they want to return spending to the FY22 level two years ago. It's $130 billion less than we're spending now, than the government's spending now. So it's a pretty dramatic cut. And they don't want to cut the Pentagon, and they don't want to cut veteran spending, they're saying. So they're going to cut everything else that is 
called non-defense discretionary. This is, you know, the Interior Department, the Commerce Department, the Labor Department. They're going to make pretty, to get to where they want, they're going to have to have huge cuts to those agencies. It's never going to happen. But this is what they're calling for. This is what their, this is what their opening position is in this debate. And they want to force Biden to kind of talk on their, on their ground, where they're talking about spending cuts, caps, cuts. They, want, that's, they don't want to talk about raising or spending more money or raising taxes. They want to talk about cutting uh, spending in a, as dramatic a way as they can. And if they actually even achieve it, there are some economists who say that those cuts themselves could potentially send the country into a recession. But Mario, I want to ask you about the White House, because right now they aren't changing their tune. The president isn't changing his tune. So what are you hearing about how they're going to respond to this GOP bill? Yeah, well, the pressure is starting to build on the White House, right? They thought that they had the upper hand, particularly through the lens of what we saw in January, the, the number of votes that it needed, the number of times they had to vote in order for Speaker McCarthy to get the gavel. Well, the gambit is starting to backfire slightly on the White House. You're seeing the U.S. Chamber of Commerce come out and urge Biden to meet with McCarthy. You're seeing a little bit of lackluster responses from folks like Josh Gottheimer as well. You're seeing the Business Roundtable apply pressure also. And, and don't forget, President Biden's talking point prior to the to the passage of, of the bill in the House had been, well, show me something. They don't have anything. Well, now they do. And so now the onus is on the president to at least uh, start to, 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 to be open to, to speaking with McCarthy, lest he, he gets viewed as the one who's being an extremist in this situation. Melanie, say that the top congressional leaders, McCarthy included, reach a deal with President Biden, it's going to be nothing like what was right. just passed, to, to John's point. So can Kevin McCarthy get all of his Republicans to support a deal with Democrats? That is the big question. And he's going to have to get those Republicans on board. He might not need their votes if he cuts a Democratic deal, because you can pass something if you have Democratic votes in the House. But he needs them for his speakership, because they have made clear, the right flank, that they do not want anything watered down in their opinions of what they already passed. They have this tool known as the motion to vacate, which is the ability to essentially force a vote to oust the sitting speaker. They're threatening to use that if they don't get what they want. So that is hanging over McCarthy's head. And that's why it's going to be so challenging to try. I can't even imagine what this deal would look like, to be honest. That's something that all the Democrats can support and all the Republicans support and that they can actually pass it. So they're starting to think about what that would look like. Like, what can Kevin McCarthy get? Because um, right now it was hard enough to get even this conservative wish list through the House. I mean, do we even know, uh, based on what you know about McCarthy's leadership style, do you think he's interested in a deal with Democrats, one that, that could bring conservatives along? I, yeah, I actually do. I think he absolutely wants to get this done. He doesn't want a default on his hands either. He recognizes the stakes here as well. And even though they're starting to feel confident that they wouldn't get the blame, no one really knows how it's going to shake out. I do think they want a solution, but he is very cognizant of these different competing dynamics that he has to deal with. And Dan, you've said that you think that passage of this GOP bill could actually escalate the possibility that we hit the brink, that we could potentially get closer to the fiscal cliff. Why do you think that is? Well, I think the, the two sides are still so far apart 
uh, and they are both dug in on their respective positions. Um, and I think that we are going to get closer and closer to the brink before there is some movement toward a negotiation. I mean, I think inevitably President Biden will get drawn into this. I don't quite know when and how that will happen. I have no idea what the deal would be that would, would put it together. We have to remember in, in 2011, we went through a similar process with a president who was starting his reelection campaign, Barack Obama. And in that case, the vice president, Joe Biden, did a lot of negotiating on both raising the debt ceiling and cutting spending. He was there at the beginning of those negotiations, and then when they blew up and they had to cut a very messy deal in the end, he was there to help bring that together. So he has been through this. And there's, there's something at stake for him in this that I think relates to his 2024 re-election campaign, which is this is an early moment of definition for him and the Republican Party. Um, and if he plays this smartly and well, he comes out perhaps stronger. But if this thing blows up and the economy tanks, that is going to hurt him as well as the Republicans. So I think it, it behooves him to think about whether there's a way to get into negotiations that can produce a deal. But this is a, this is a more challenging Republican Party to negotiate with than even that Tea Party party of 2011, as John well knows. So you think that there's risk, though, for both Republicans totally. as, well as, as well as President Biden? Yes. Brez, you... Um, you Punchbowl talked to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer about what passed through the House by Kevin McCarthy, and he thinks that these all, he thinks that these this bill could potentially be heading the country towards a default as well. So, is he standing by President Biden? Is he standing by that position that the White House holds that you don't negotiate with Republicans on this? Oh, absolutely. I think I think the Hill Democrats are even harsher on this than the White House is. I mean, I've talked to folks in the West Wing and they're like, you know, maybe we can get to the table if McCarthy passes this bill when it was when they were trying to put it together. And now they're talking about, you know, they're under pressure from Jeffries and Schumer, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and Schumer, not to uh, not at this moment to negotiate. I do think it's fascinating, though. Democrats, and, and we were talking about, Mel and I were talking about this before. In the last day, I've gotten two Senate Democrats call me and be like, what does McCarthy really want? Like, you know, like they're not talking to each other. They really, I mean, we're four months into this Congress, and they're still kind of just, you know, The Senate Democrats aren't talking to McCarthy. Oh, and then McCarthy's not talking to them. I mean, they're not talking to each other. And it's amazing to me that there's so little discussion, and... We could be hitting this default date, the X date, they call it, you know, in a couple of weeks. It could be, you know, could be June, it could be July. We don't actually know yet. So, but they, it's fascinating that they don't have a read on him uh, at all. Really, what what does he have to have to make a deal? And I think I think that is a huge problem. And then beyond that, they have no idea what's happening in the House Republican Conference. They really don't. A lot of these members are new. They haven't dealt with them before. Biden doesn't know them. The White House doesn't know them. Schumer doesn't know them. So, I mean, it's a real, I mean, we could blunder our way into a worse situation than 2011 very easily. I mean, they could just keep talking past each other and we could find ourselves, you know, on the verge of a default. But as Mario said, the White House is facing some more pressure potentially from this bill to come to the table. I, I mean, do you, th are you hearing any additional pressure coming from Democrats now 
towards the White House to negotiate. I mean, there's some moderate Democrat centrist. Like rank and file. Yeah, and you're talking about Gottheimer. Joe Manchin has mm -hmm. been very vocal about this. I do think they will, you know, the House is out for a week. I think they'll go back home. I think they'll start to hear more from folks on Main Street. This is starting to percolate a little bit into Main Street. It hadn't really yet. I think Wall Street is starting to really pay attention to this. I mean, you were seeing insurance on a possible default going up, that cost of that going up. So I think it's people are starting to pay attention to it because really they, I mean, we're four months into this Congress and there has been very little movement until this week, until this vote. So finally, you know, there's something, you know, but both sides, they're still kind of just staring at each other. And to John's point, yes, this is starting to emanate outside of Washington, right? We were all kind of watching the politics of it. But when you start talking about things like delayed Social Security payments, Medicaid, Medicare beneficiaries, higher interest rates just on your mortgage or your car loans, those are the type of things that get constituents calling their representatives. And you don't want those calls from, you know, if you're a representative. And, and the, I mean, the, the economy is in a fragile spot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, it's not as though this is a robust economy that could take a bit of a shock. Uh, there's so much nervousness that what we saw with the, with the banking uh, industry. Um, jobs market looks strong still, but in all other ways, if, if we got the kind of jolt that we're talking about uh, or even come close, it's going to set off some real concerns. And do you think that we, you mentioned 2011 and us reaching the fiscal cliff there. Do you think this is a 2011 level scenario? I, I think it could be w worse, um, in part be what you've been talking about, which is there is no communication, there is no understanding. I mean, the only thing I can think of, and you all might have a better sense of this than I do, uh, is that the relationship between the president and Mitch McConnell may be you know, maybe a backdoor way into something. But um, but I think we're a ways away from that. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of brinksmanship yet to happen. And, and Melanie, you mentioned the possibility of Democrats providing votes in the House to get past this. Do you have any sense of if uh, minority, um, minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries is actually going to want to do this, to, to give votes? As of today, they are... <laughs> holding firm on their position that there are going to be no negotiations and just a clean debt ceiling hike. But I think the closer we get to that X date, and we should be getting more information next week about what that X date is, I think the closer we get to that, we might start to see some movement there. And, you know, I, I just want to ask again, I mean, the the stakes of this, John, do, is there any sense that, that lawmakers really are feeling it, are feeling how close we could come to the brink? I know, Mel and I talk to these guys all the time. There's a large part of the House Republican Conference that doesn't believe a default yeah, is, I've, I've is a that. real crisis, that mm -hmm. they, we can mm -hmm. pay our interest on the debt, we can pay, we can pay, we make enough payments to keep things, the default isn't real, that's a phony thing. And I think this is extraordinarily dangerous. And like you said, 2011, in 2011, John Boehner was the speaker and he at least had a relationship with Biden. He knew not so much the President Obama at that point, but he knew Biden and there was McConnell and the debt was a lot smaller than that we're talking about. But I can remember sitting outside an office in 2011 and Boehner came out and he had been talking to the Tea Party guys 
and he's like, I can't talk to these guys. He's telling the reporters this. I think it's worse now. I mean, you know, McCarthy, you know, McCarthy barely survived by the skin of his teeth. And at that point, Boehner was still viable. I mean, McCarthy barely got there. So I think, you know, I do think he wants to govern appropriately, but I do, you know, he's, can he survive this? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Can his can. speakership yeah, survive? Yeah, his speakership survive. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, for all the reasons we outlined, uh, we hope that we don't go over <laughs> the fiscal cliff. But uh, we we want to turn to 2024 now. President Biden officially announced this week he's running for a second term, setting the stage for a possible 2024 rematch against his predecessor, Donald Trump. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead. We have more freedom or less freedom. More rights or fewer. Trump, the current frontrunner for the GOP's presidential nomination, responded in his own video. When I stand on that debate stage and compare our records, it will be radical Democrats' worst nightmare. President Trump, Mario, went on to also say in that video again that the election was rigged, that it was stolen. Uh, those lies, plus the efforts by Republicans in a number of states to restrict abortion, LGBTQ rights, uh, to ban books, is a big part of why President Biden focused his reelection launch on freedom, what they describe as freedom. Is this a new message from the president? This is a continuation. I think when we hear the president say, finish the job, he means the job that he outlined in 2020 when he said that he was galvanized by what happened in Charlottesville, right? So if you look at the tea, if you read the tea leaves from his first presidential, his 2024 ad, we don't see the traditional hard hats and construction workers or American flag until almost two minutes into that video. What we see is January 6th. We hear 30 seconds in him invoke MAGA and he, him linking that to the uh, voting rights, to uh, a, abortion rights, all of those different things as well. And so he's almost downright giddy at the prospect of having a rematch with uh, former President Donald Trump. Dan, in addition to the president's launch video, the Democratic National Committee, as well as some other Democratic super PACs, are heavily focusing on abortion and guns. But what stands out to you about the way the president is shaping the argument for his second term? I, I, I agree with Mario. I was, I was struck by the fact that the, the parallelism between the opening of the 2020 video, which was Charlottesville, in the opening of the 2024, which is January 6th, and then a very fast pivot to, to the abortion issue in particular, which said to me he's running a combination of what he did in 2020, which was a focus on President Trump and the threats that Trump has uh, done to the country and the threats to democracy in particular, and amping that up because of January 6th and the election denialism that the former president has continued to talk about. Um, and at the same time, a version of what he and the Democrats did in 2022, which was to focus on abortion and guns, but particularly abortion as a motivating uh, force to bring Democrats out. Um, he wants this, as do all presidents running for re-election, not to be a referendum on him. He wants it to be a choice. And in Donald Trump, he has the ideal foil to be able to make it uh, a choice and not a referendum. And John, 
Donald Trump is still the front runner in this in this race in the GOP primary, despite the fact that these investigations are looming. In particular, his former vice president, Mike Pence, just testified on Thursday for hours before a federal grand jury about uh, the president's potential efforts to overturn, overturn the 2020 election. The district attorney in Fulton County in Georgia says that she will decide whether or not to charge the former president. Uh, in their investigation in uh, the election results in Georgia, are any of his challengers seizing on this? I mean, they, uh, look, they, right now, and he's been indicted in New York on 34 felony counts. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I, I you know, I do think they're not directly seizing on it, but I do, but I, you know, they're, they're clearly intimating that he's got problems and that he's got, you know, more baggage than any president in history, and he running again. Um, I do think, and I and I think that they are kind of echoing a little bit what uh, um, what you, what you see Biden saying. That, you know, the 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 message of Trump is in a lot of ways he he'll go back. He's you know he only remembers the first three years of his presidency. He doesn't remember the last years, right? He never talks about that. The <laughs> pandemic doesn't exist in his mind. Okay, and Same. yeah, and it's, you know. And, you know, and the Biden's message is subtly to me is, you know, chaos, you know, that's Trump was chaos. And I think you see that with some of these guys. I think, you know, DeSantis is pre presenting in particular uh, the image of, you know, competency. That's, uh, you know, I got through the chaos in a competent way. I managed floor in a competent way. And Tim Scott has this upbeat uh, uh, approach and Asa Hutchinson and Nikki Haley have different approaches. I do think they're trying to come at it indirectly. I don't think they can say, Really, I, I don't think you'll see DeSantis at this point or anybody say, "Look, you know, he could be in prison." You know, I mean, they're not. I don't think he's going to yeah, say that. Yeah. But uh, you know, look, it is. It's it's his problem. Let him clean it up. Yeah, yeah Ron DeSantis so far has not no, been no. Uh, forcefully going after him on January sixth. But speaking of DeSantis. He and abortion, which we've been talking about, he signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. Melanie, you've co covered GOP efforts to restrict abortion. Um, do Republicans in Congress think that abortion is political quicksand now? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I, literally, when I was trying to ask Republicans their reaction to the abortion pill ruling, they were running away from me. I mean, running across the street into traffic to avoid my question. And, <laughs> you know, the last time they had the majority, uh, they... In it was like 2017, 2015, 20, they passed a federal abortion ban, a 20-week federal abortion ban. And me and my colleagues did some digging, and they have no intentions of putting a federal abortion ban on the floor, partly because they don't have the votes. They only have four-seat margin. Uh, they have moderates. But it's also because they recognize that this was such a liability for them in the midterms, and they would much rather just stick their heads in the sand and try to ignore it. But the problem is when you let the states be in the driver's seat, you're going to have states like Florida that are signing six-week bans. You're going to have these... Supreme Court rulings uh, that are out of your hands, and they're going to be forced to answer for the results of those. And so there is a debate internally in the GOP right now is, do we continue to ignore this, or can we address it? Can we lean into this somehow in a way that can politically benefit us? But they just have not decided on what that message would be. And Dan, st sticking with DeSantis, um, he appears to be jumping in relatively soon to the race, but he's facing a lawsuit from Disney. Uh, for using his state power, uh, essentially, to go after a company for disagreeing with him on the Don't Say Gay bill. It's not just Democrats criticizing DeSantis, though, is it? No, no, not at all. And, and uh, this, this, this Disney battle has turned into quite an ordeal for him. I mean, he, he 
fired the first shots in this a year ago uh, when Disney, you know, took issue with the don't say gay bill. Um, and I think he thought he had the upper hand and he was handsomely rewarded and with a big reelection victory. And I think he came out of that thinking with, that, that he was doing the, you know, doing the right thing and that people were rewarding him for it. Um, but uh, Disney's playing a long game. And they've been in Florida a long time, and they'll be in Florida long after Ron DeSantis is, you know, governor. Uh, and this has become a problem for him rather than a pure asset. Uh, he's got to deal with this. And I think there are Republicans and, and others who, who see this as um, a misuse of kind of conservative and conservative values and, and strategies. The idea that you're using government to go after the private sector kind of turns historic conservatism on its head. Uh, and he's beginning to have some of that backlash. So he's potentially losing a war with Disney over the particulars, uh, and he's getting criticism from other conservatives about the strategy. So um, this, is, this is one more piece of evidence that he's kind of, you know, he's finding his footing and, and sometimes not finding it very successfully as he makes the transition from being a successful statewide candidate to the national play, uh, stage. Yeah, like you said, turning conservatism on its head and, and using government in a very different form than it's been used previously. But I think that we got to leave it there. I know we could continue going on about the 2024 field and how it's taking shape. So thanks to all of our panelists for joining us and for sharing your reporting. And thanks to all of you for watching at home. Be sure to turn into PBS News Weekend Saturday for a look at the teacher shortage in rural America and efforts to overcome it in Montana. I'm Laura Barone-Lopez. Good night from Washington.